Well, welcome again to this house, our series in this house, as we uh, just call out some distinctives about really invitations um, to deeper belonging here at Pathfinder. Um, To begin today, I want to share with you a little bit more about my house, so to speak. This is JT. This is my paternal grandfather. Uh, JT was raised in a really, really poor family in northern Alabama, a town called Uniana. The southerners say I don't say it right still, but uh, that's, that's kind of how I know it. And like I said, his family was, was really, really poor. His dad was also a hothead, my great-grandpa Jesse, a violent man. And um, he used to be abusive to his kids, but also to his wife. And according to family story, at least as how, how I remember it, there's a moment when JT was kind of a young man, and his dad, Jesse, was, was uh, kind of going after um, his mom, and, uh, and JT had had enough. And so he stood up to his father and he said, you will not hurt my mother again. And before Jesse could retaliate on uh, JT, my grandpa, uh, for this stand of courage, um, as fate, as divine providence would have it, JT's older brother, Earl, my great uncle, was just strolling back after a nice afternoon time of hunting with his shotgun in hand. Now, Earl had no idea what was going on. Um, this was not a setup, but Jesse, the boy's father, um, assumed that this was a setup, that they were having an intervention. And he looked at JT and then at Earl with the shotgun, and he got out of the house. He left, and actually that day he left the family, and so uh, he never heard uh, any of the family again. A few years later, then JT, he went off to fight in World War II. Uh, after World War II, he returned back to the United States, and he took part in the Great Migration all of these Southerners, black and white, who moved north to find good paying factory jobs. And so he relocated to Ypsilanti, Willow Run area in Michigan. And he began his career working in factories and machine shops later on in tool and dye. He had a family of seven kids right in the middle was my father, Doyle. This is my papa, JT. Now this is my papa, Carl, my other grandfather. He, is, um, he was born to an immigrant, a Swede, and an American-born woman. He was born in Michigan, right there in Ypsilanti, Michigan. And, um, and he was just kind of a, you know, an American kid. He grew up running track, was a track star in high school. He set the record for the fastest mile in our high school, and that record still stood all those years later when I was in high school, so he was pretty fast. After high school, he went on and served his country in Korea, came back home. He also got married, started a family, and my mother was one of his firstborn, uh, firstborn children. He had twins, and my mother was one of them. He also began working in factories. He was a Ford man. Any Ford fans here today? Okay. That makes seven of you all weekend long. Um, And you wonder what's wrong with America today. it's okay, Papa, it's all right. He, he would be brokenhearted. He was a Ford loyalist his whole life, started working on the assembly lines, worked in the assembly lines his whole life. Now, uh, these are men that I admire and respect deep, deeply. Both of them are past, um, but I'm so grateful for them, and they had a huge influence on my life. But there's always been something about these two that I, I, I just haven't been able to connect with, and that is these two men spent their whole lives working in factories, Now, I mean no disrespect to any of you who have made that your career, people that you know or love who have. For me, I always felt like that maybe I was just built differently because I I just couldn't imagine that being my life. And so I assumed for a long time that maybe I'm just a 
I have bigger aspirations, I'm more of a dreamer, I'm more ambitious with my life. But as I've gotten older, I realize that that's probably not true. These men both had dreams and they had ambitions and, and there was a lot to them. I think what actually is at play here is that these guys lived by a very different narrative of life and work than what I probably do. Because neither one of them were particularly passionate about factory work. It was kind of a means to an end. My Papa JT, what his passions were, they were music and they were sharing his faith. Um, he loved to garden, he had fruit trees and he lived in this little city house in this postage stamp yard and he had fruit trees in his backyard. They'd grow pears and then he'd make preserves and he'd put them on his shelves in his basement. And when we'd go over there on Thanksgiving, we would like try to smuggle them out of the house because they were amazing. Those were his passions. He, he would go for years with my granny and they would go to nursing homes on the weekend with his guitar and they would lead worship and they would just provide church for residents of nursing homes. So factory work wasn't his passion. Those things were, he loved his family. Same thing with my Papa Carl. He, he was passionate about being a good provider to his family. And, and he also lived in Michigan his whole life. So he was a rabid Michigan Wolverines fan. Anybody? More than Ford fans, that's surprising to me. Um, but uh, he, he was, he also, he loved to duck hunt. He was a gardener and uh, his, his uh, second wife, my step-grandmother, they turned their suburban yard into a botanical garden. They had flowers and plants everywhere. They had a greenhouse. My mom reminded me this morning they had a koi pond. Um, it was amazing and also a little bit weird to be honest, it was kind of eccentric. You know, you're like, you're just living in the suburban house and it's like a jungle, but it was amazing. Um, and and that, was, that was their passion. See, I realized that it's not that these men weren't passionate. It's not that they didn't have ambitions. It's not that they didn't dream dreams. They just saw work not as the place to live out all of those dreams. Now today, we tend to operate by a very different narrative or actually think two narratives. For most of us today, we tend to think about our work life or even just life in general. First, I think a lot of us think of ourselves through a passion narrative. And you know this narrative. It goes something like this. Discover what you're passionate about, what you love, and do that with your life. And if you do, you will never work another day in your life, right? Because it won't feel like work. You're just doing what you're passionate about. That's one narrative that I think a lot of us grow up under and live by. Um, another narrative, the second narrative is the gifts narrative. Uh, it goes like this, that in each of us there is some gift or there is some strength or there is some ability and our responsibility is to uncover that gift, to, to mine for it, to find it. And then when we do, to bring it out and, and you know, because like Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. It is our responsibility to find a way to use that gift out in the world. And if we do, if we do that, if we leverage that gift or strength, then we're guaranteeing that we will always be able to find value and be valuable to the world around us. And I think most of us live life by one, if not both, of those two narratives. But along the way, I think we've forgotten that there is this third narrative, the narrative of my grandfathers, I think that they lived by. I call it the get-her-done narrative. Or just maybe the needs narrative. That life isn't always about doing something that you're amazing at. It's not always something about something that, having to do something that you're passionate about. That there is value in doing things simply because they need to be done. Now, I believe that actually the sweet spot in life 
is bringing together all three of those narratives in, in a really uh, you know, unique way. So um, I, I think the sweet spot in life is, yes, to discover what you're passionate about and then to inventory your gifts because what we're passionate about is not always what we're gifted for. You've watched the auditions on American Idol before, haven't you? Like, you love to sing, you're just no good at it. Um, so those things don't, but they do align, you know, in some places. And then third, and this is, this is where my grandfathers have taught me something, to take a look at the world around you and say, what does the world need? And, and maybe it's stuff you're passionate about or gifted for, but maybe it isn't. Maybe it's just stuff that they need and they'll pay you for it and it's good and it provides a means to an end. But ideally, if you can bring all three of these things together, and we're talking about this spot right here, this is the ideal. If our work, if our contribution, if our purpose can bring together our passions, our gifts, and the needs of our family, our our community, the world around us, then we're living in the sweet spot. Today, I want to help maybe move you a step closer to this through a couple different things. Um, First thing I want to do is I want to take you to some words of Scripture, some wisdom from Scripture, a letter written by a guy, Paul. We looked actually in the same letter last week, if you were here, Romans. Paul, a follower of Jesus, was writing letters, and uh, one of those letters went to some Christians living in the city of Rome. You've heard of the place. This is a, a lot later than we were last week. We started off at the beginning, Romans 12. I want you to look at these words with me. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, and last week he made a big deal that everyone is really everyone. It is Jewish people who are kind of God's people all throughout time. It's also these new Greeks or Romans or Gentile people who are just recently coming into the family of God. They all belong, he said. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. We looked at that last week. He says, for the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, all of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, right? We get all these different parts and they do different things. Here's the metaphor. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So Paul's saying, hey, you know what? This gifts narrative, that's, that's legitimate, We all have something uniquely put inside of us that we are meant to discover and then contribute to the world around us. And and it's not about trying to be like someone else. It's not about fitting in. It's not about conformity. Diversity is a good thing because we're one body and we need every part to be its true self, Paul says. And so he reels this all out and he affirms some of this this narrative that that I grew up under. It's, It's a good narrative. And then he says something that's really important in here, or within here, he said something really important that helps us kind of live this out to get there. He he said, think of yourself with sober judgment. See, if you're going to figure out which part you play, which part of the body you are, if you're going to be who you're created to be, then you've got to think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, what does it think, what does it mean rather to think of yourself with sober judgment? Um, First, and maybe this is going on in your mind, first means to not think too highly of yourself. Paul actually said that. Don't think too highly of yourselves, more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. So it means don't be arrogant, don't be puffed up, don't be proud. And yet we know that pride cuts both ways, doesn't it? C.S. Lewis is the one who taught me this. I don't know if he originated it, that pride is not thinking less of yourself, It's thinking of yourself less. 
The Bible does not encourage low self-esteem. The Bible does not want us to live a life of self-hatred. Instead, we're just encouraged to, to, you know, know who we are, but just to spend less time being preoccupied thinking about ourselves. See, it's just as much of a problem if you sit around all day thinking about how terrible and inadequate you are as if you sit around all day thinking about how awesome you are. But Paul says, hey, thinking of yourself isn't the problem. Actually, introspection is a good thing, but he encourages us to do it with sober judgment. Now, again, what what does it mean to think of ourselves as sober judgment? What does it mean to be sober? Well, for starters, it means don't be drunk, right? We know that part. But here's what it means. Marked by sedate or gravely or earnestly thoughtful character or demeanor. Paul says, I want you to think of yourselves, examine yourselves, So you can figure out what part you play, but you've got to be able to do it gravely, earnestly, thoughtfully. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I examine myself, when I begin to do some introspection, it is rarely sedately or thoughtfully. It is often done with a lot of emotion. It is done irrationally. Because when I start to look at myself and try to figure out what it is that that I've got to contribute to the world around me, that's when I start not just, you know, kind of thinking about myself objectively, that's when I start comparing, frantically comparing myself to whatever the culture values or the media thinks is awesome or whatever the alpha figures, you know, those powerful figures in my life, whatever they embody or whatever they value or even against what what the culture pays or compensates because we all know that that the culture, it's kind of arbitrary what gifts we honor and pay well and and so I look at that and, and, and I find myself most of the time not looking within sober mindedly gravely, thoughtfully trying to discover what God has put into me. Instead, I'm looking around frantically, seeing what everyone else has, what everyone else thinks is is amazing, and I'm focusing on those things, wishing I could be those things, feeling like I don't measure up. Anybody else? Maybe not quite as frantic as me, but you probably do it, right? And I think even in schools we're taught to do this, from the beginning, we're taught that the big question in life is how do I measure up? Where do I fit? Am I the head of the class? Am I the back of the class? What percentile do I find myself in? It's like ingrained in us. Which is why I love so much what we're doing here at St. John's School through our new lead approach. We're still, you know, it's important for assessment, but we're changing the question. We're getting back to this question of first, what has God put in me that needs to be drawn out? How do we draw that out? How do we develop that? How do we help you find your place? See, sober judgment, sober judgment. This weekend, I want to help us all take a step closer to viewing ourselves with sober judgment. And I want to do that by giving you a tool that we use here on staff at Pathfinder. It's a tool called the PI, or predictive index. Now, if you don't like personality assessments, great, because it's not a personality assessment. I, I love personality assessments, but this is actually a behavioral tendency inventory. And it's all about not your personality, but it's just about helping you see your behaviors. And it's great in the workplace, especially because it helps you understand why people behave the way they do, your boss, your direct reports, your coworkers. But it's also also really insightful to help you understand more about yourself. Now, one of the things I love about the PI is that it's super quick. It, It only takes five to seven minutes for you to take which is an extraordinarily short amount of time. 
in fact, if you take this inventory, I guarantee what's going to happen as you're taking it, especially because I'm planting this idea in your head, it'll happen. Uh, But it would happen anyway. I guarantee one of the things that you'll think as you're doing it, you're going to think like, wait, this is it? There's no way this can tell me anything meaningful or helpful or true or accurate about myself because it's so quick. And yet it's so deeply scientific that after you take this test that you think doesn't, you know, can't tell you anything, you'll get emailed back to you a report that actually will tell you quite a lot. The first thing you'll see in this report is a chart that looks something like this. This is my chart, so yours will look different. But it will, it will kind of place you in light of four behavioral tendencies and how strong you are in those tendencies. So the first one is dominance. You probably can't see this, but it says dominance. Uh, on one side, you've got let me collaborate or let me drive. So this is where I'm plotted on the chart, kind of further on the let me drive end. Next is extroversion. Let me think it through. Extroversion, we talk about it lots of different ways. This is how they define it. Uh, Let me think it through or let me talk it out. You can see where I am. Way over here in the let me talk it out camp. Is anyone surprised by that? (laughs) Um, So so that's where I am. The third thing is uh, patience. On this side, give me variety, give me stability or routine. Um, now, Now here I'll point out that right next to my plot, there's actually this little arrow. This literally means that my impatience is off the charts. (laughs) The fourth behavior is formality. Um, Give me flexibility or give me structure. And I am kind of, you know, near the midline, but uh, more on the flexibility side. Now, this is a really helpful chart if you know how to read it. Uh, For some of you, you're not going to know what this means. So the good news is after this, after you get your report, there'll be narrative. Narrative with bullet points. Amen for, you know, praise God for bullet points, right? We love bullet points. Um, Yeah. So uh, you'll get about 10 or 12 bullet points, probably your strongest behaviors. Here are two of mine that I thought you would just, you know, you kind of know me in a limited way, but these probably will resonate. Dion is strikingly expressive, effusive, and verbal in communicating. Talks a lot and very quickly. You're thinking like, you didn't need to take a five-minute test for, to learn that. We could have told you that in the first 15 seconds. Uh, enthusiastically persuades and motivates others by adjusting the message and delivery to the current recipient. Or how about this one? Intense proactivity and aggressiveness in driving to reach goals. Actively and boldly challenges the world, business, and even the areas of others within the business. Right? So uh, active and aggressive, which is why I have to take a sabbatical every once in a while. You know, I, need, I need a breather. Uh, Steve Howard always used to say that everybody wants a strong pastor until you get one. Um, so, uh, you know, a couple of things that you're like, okay, man, I'm five minutes and, and that's pretty spot on. Uh, there's another section I want to show you. It's a summary. It kind of gives you a narrative about your behavioral tendencies. So impatient for results and particularly impatient with details and routines, Dion is a confident and venturesome doer a decision maker who'll delegate details and responsibility and authority. Dion is a self-starter who can also be skillful at training and developing others. I hope that's true. He applies pressure for results, but in doing so, his style is more selling than telling. See, this is about sober judgment. It's about reflecting back things about myself, some of which I know, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. And frankly, some of which... They sting a little bit. I I just want you to know sober judgment, it can hurt a little bit. In case you're unaware, impatience is not a fruit of the spirit. Um, And yet it's pretty clear that I've got a problem with that. 
It's kind of painful for me to read. I, I, I want to deny that. I don't want to admit that. I, it's hard for me to say that in front of all of you because that shows that I've got growth to do. And I think this is one of the reasons that some of us don't like these kinds of assessments. This is why we take them and we're like, oh, well, that's not me. You know, it works for 10 million people in the world, but not me. It got me wrong. Because it, sober judgment's not easy. And it requires us to just kind of unemotionally in a rational way, thoughtfully, deliberately, examine ourselves in a very objective light. And there's some of that stuff that we see that we're not gonna like. Stuff that stings a little bit. And yet, the the thing about PI and all these assessments is there is no perfect profile, you know that? So if you do this and you get yours and you're like, oh, I wish mine said the thing that Dion has, every strength comes with a caution. And the world doesn't need one kind of person. I I match pretty well with the job that I have, but I would be terrible in some other jobs. I mean, don't put me in a preschool room with little kids. I love little kids, but I don't want to spend all day with them. They wear me out. I'm too impatient. I can't handle it. So, so, you know, as we look at ourselves with sober judgment, often the the negative feelings come from, because we're comparing ourselves, or we're too hung up in our, our, our negative sides, Here's what I want you to know, (laughs) that as you examine yourself, as you get to assess what it is that God has put inside you, it requires sober judgment, but that's not the only ingredient. Paul says that sober judgment is where you begin, but he says there's something else. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So as we look at ourselves, as we look at assessments like this, we don't just read the words, but we look at them with sober judgment plus a faith-filled mindset that says, you know what, even though there's some things here that I don't like or I wish it was different, the reality is I've been given a new identity as a child of God and whoever I've been, whoever I was before, I am now new. I'm called a son or a daughter of God and he invites me to belong. He loves me, he delights in me. I'm not just an illegitimate child, but I'm an heir. My name is in the will. And not only that, but, but I look at this stuff and as I examine myself, I do so with a heart filled with faith and I am optimistic about who I'm becoming. And I know that God is at work in me and day by day I am being made new, I am being conformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. So yeah, it says I'm impatient today, but God is working in me and, he, and he's moving me along to the place he knows I need to be, not the place that I want to be. See, it's sober judgment plus faith. I know that even though some things are true of me today, that our God is a God of grace and he is merciful and he is compassionate and he doesn't throw my weakness in my face. Instead, his grace covers me and it covers over all of my inadequacies, all of the things that I don't like about myself, all of the things that that show that I'm, I'm immature and I need to grow, all of the unflattering parts, his grace is sufficient to cover over me. Now the P.I., uh, it's not an assessment you can just go and, you know, find on Facebook, like, which character on, you know, a Disney movie are you? It's, it's not one of those. It's actually a, a scientific assessment. It's a fee-based assessment. Um, but through our vendor, um, our consultant, who al- also happens to be a part of the Pathfinder family, um, we want to make this available to you. 
Um, so this weekend, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do, and you can do part of this right now. You can right now take out your phone, and you can text the letters P-I, capital P, capital I, no spaces, no periods, P-I to 43506. That stands for predictive index or pitch in to 43506. When you text that in, go ahead, you can do that right now. You're going to get a message back that has a link. Don't click the link yet. Just go ahead and text P-I to 43506. I don't want you to click the link yet once you get that back. Instead, over the next 72 hours, the link will be active for about 72 hours, I want you to find five to seven minutes, preferably seven, of, of um, uncluttered, quiet space where you are not distracted. So clicking the link right now is bad because I'm still talking way too fast, right? And you're going to be distracted. So just get the link. You can do that right now, PI to 43506. Then when you've got seven minutes of quiet time, you can go ahead and click the link. It's got a really mobile-friendly site, um, and you can take the inventory. It's going to ask you for your email. Don't put in a fake email address because that's how you get your report. You're not going to be solicited. That's not the point. We just want to get you your results. Now, a couple other notes. This is recommended for 18 years and up. That's kind of a, a loose age. Here's why we say 18. Because um, as you're in your teens, your behavioral tendencies are still being set. You're still becoming. And so um, it, it can kind of be less precise or it can help move you to some false conclusions. So uh, you can use your discretion there, but it also requires a certain grasp of language, uh, words that you might not fully understand when you're too young. So that's another reason we say that. And on the language note, I also wanna let you know that if English is not your first language, you should take the inventory in whatever your native tongue, your heart language is, because the results will be better. So you can text this now, you'll get the link. Uh, when you have five, seven minutes, take it. Now, why are we doing this? Why are we making this available? We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not, this is not about marketing. What we're trying to do is to move you closer to this picture. If you begin to examine yourself with sober judgment plus faith, you will begin to discover things inside you, maybe passions or gifts inside you that will help get you closer to this ideal, living at the intersection of all three of those things. But this is only step one. Step two, then, is to discover a way that you can contribute whatever your passions and gifts are to the needs of the world around you. That's what Paul says next. Going back to Romans, his very next words were uh, this. He said, we all have different gifts, right? Be okay with that. Be okay with the fact that your PI looks different than mine. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is, is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. You know, notice this, notice this. Paul says, you know what, if your gift is teaching, then don't try to serve or prophesy. If your gift is teaching, teach. And he's saying two things. Stop trying to be something you're not. And if you have a gift, use it. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, again, ideally, what happens for us is that we, we, you know, there's a need around us. The community needs teachers and we're passionate about teaching and we're gifted for teaching. And so all three of those things come together and we do it. But we all know that ideals are just that. And sometimes the ideal doesn't come together and you've got to live in reality. See, I think this is the mistake that we make 
in our present day, as we're trying to discover our passions and live out our passions and live within our giftedness, sometimes we see that as an excuse for inaction. We say, until all of these things align perfectly, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to sit around and just wait for all these things to align. Or sometimes we think, well, once I discover this and I'm in my sweet spot, I'm never going to do anything outside of my sweet spot because that would be beneath me. See, this is where I think the wisdom that my grandparents had, that sometimes in life you just do stuff because it needs to be done, and this is the ideal, but sometimes you just gotta, you gotta work outside of the ideal to contribute in a way that, that needs to be done. See, I think sometimes in pursuing this, we find ourselves paralyzed, we find ourselves stuck, we find ourselves inactive, and that is not the calling that we have. See, Paul wraps it up, and here's what he says. After all that, you know, different parts and different gifts, and use your gift, and right, all the stuff that we believe deep down, he says this, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and then he says this, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. For those of us who follow Christ, even bigger than this really important question of how do all these things align in the perfect way so that I can live out my purpose, there's another question that, that trumps even that question, and that is, how do I love others well? And just like that question, how do I honor others more than myself? See, as important as that question is, about how these things align, these questions predominate. And, and why do I say that? Because these were the questions that predominated the mind of our leader, Jesus. You might know if you know anything about Jesus that he was gifted to be a king. From old times in prophecy, he was predicted that he would come and he would be a great king, gifted for ruling. Uh, at his birth, angels and shepherds and wise men come and they go, this guy's going to be a king. As he's doing his ministry, as he gets older and he's teaching and he's healing and he's feeding people, people go, whoa, here's our king. I mean, this, this guy's a great king. And, it, and it's certain that our world needs more kings, more leaders, more rulers like Jesus, people of compassion and depth and wisdom, people who are selfless. Like, there is no doubt that that's what our world needs. And Jesus, he was so gifted to, to meet this need in the world. And yet, as Jesus lived his life, as he operated everything he did, he was, he was driven by these deeper questions, not just how do all these things align? Well, if they, just be a king, Jesus. We need you to be a king. Instead, as he walked the earth, his question was, how do I love these people well? How do I honor them more than myself? And what he saw is that even more than great leadership, more than great kings, what we need most is rescue. We need a savior. We, we need someone to, to free us from death and sin and those patterns that we're stuck in. We, we need someone to come and rescue us from hopelessness. We need someone to breathe hope into our lives. We need someone who can make us new, who can give us a new identity, and who can help us see our future optimistically, who can give us grace to cover over all the unflattering parts of ourselves. Jesus walked the earth and he saw that's what we need most. These people, they, they, they don't need a king first and foremost. They need a savior. They need a rescuer. It does not take a particularly gifted person to hang on a cross. And yet that's what Jesus, that's what his destiny became. Because he was so focused on loving us well, honoring us above himself, he gave us what we needed most. 
So, so trying to get to that ideal, it's, it's not an excuse to sit in inaction. It's not an excuse to say, well, <laughs> I'll leave it to less skilled leaders to die on crosses. I'm clearly gifted to be, it's not an excuse. That's not the way of Jesus. Even as we try to get here, we are driven by these deeper questions. How do I love others well? How do I honor others more than myself? Which means for me personally, that although I'm I'm grateful to live in a job where a lot of these things align, it means at home, I do the dishes. Now, my wife would be offended by the fact that I say I do the dishes because I know she also washes a lot of dishes. What I mean by that is, After dinner, most nights, I clean the kitchen, I do the dishes. Uh, As a kid, I was taught to be a pretty excellent dishwasher. It's not a gift that I usually boast about. It doesn't show up on inventories, but um, it's something I'm pretty good at. And that's largely thanks to my mom, who from a very young age taught all three of us kids about a disease called dysentery which is a horrible way to die. And uh, for her, she says, if you don't wash the dishes well enough, that's what happens. And so, you know, being non-sociopathic children, I didn't want to murder my whole family, so I learned to wash the dishes well. So I'm pretty good at washing dishes. I'm not particularly passionate about it, though. And yet, most nights I find myself uh, cleaning the kitchen, washing the dishes. Now, there are some nights that I come home after, I've not even been home for dinner. I've been at a meeting. I've been gone all night. I come home. I go to bed. I wake up in the morning. I go to get my coffee, and I see that there are dishes still in the sink or on the counter that did not get washed. And I'll tell you, my first response is, what does it matter with these people? I'm not home one night, and no one washes the dishes. Anyone else? You feel my pain. And, I, and in those moments, here's my temptation. Here, in my moment, here, here's it. I've got so much to do. I've got a busy day ahead of me. I'm, I'm out there living out my purpose in this perfect way. Someone else can deal with this. And then I remember that a little bit later, a short time later, Jocelyn's going to get up. She's going to come out into the kitchen and get her coffee. She's going to see those dishes. She's going to have the same reaction. Somebody's got to handle the dishes. And in that moment, All this alignment of all the important, significant things I get to do just melts away. And I ask myself the question, how do I love my family well? How do I love my wife well? How do I honor her more than myself? And so I wash the dishes. See, I I don't want to say for a second that this isn't important. I hope today, that's why we're making PI available, that you spend your life mining for your gifts, discovering your passions, looking around the world to try to find a way for this to intersect, because this really is the ideal. But as you're on the journey to get here, or even after you arrive, this is no excuse for you to exempt yourself from the deeper questions, to say, well, I'm not sure what to do, so I'm going to do nothing, or that's beneath me, that's outside of my passion or giftedness, so I will not do it. See, in this house, we all pitch in, which is why next weekend, we're going to strike up the band and have a serve fair. We are. Because literally, there are hundreds of volunteers required just to make a weekend happen here at Pathfinder, and you might know that we do more than just weekends here. And so we're going to invite you to come in next week, spend a little extra time with us uh, next weekend after service, and to begin to discover different ways that you can serve, the way that you can contribute. And and there are so many volunteers that we require to make this work that no one who calls this place home 
If you're just a guest here, you're checking out, that's fine. But no one who calls this place home should feel okay about sitting around not contributing, at least not for very long. And so today on the way out, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a simple card like this. It's going to have areas listed up here on the screen. It's going to give you a summary of what those areas are, eight areas. My hope is that as you read this card, something will get your heart beating It'll ignite a passion in you, whether it's for hospitality or worship or tech or kids or students, that, that something will start to get your heart beating. And, and maybe after you take the PI, you'll learn even more with sober judgment plus faith about some of the gifts that you have to contribute. And, and you'll be like, wow, wow. And you come in next week and you find a job that lines up specifically, a need that we have that lines up specifically with your passion and your gifts. And my hope is that you live in that sweet spot right in the middle of those, those rings that we showed you earlier. That's my hope in prayer. But even if you take the PI or you read this and, and it doesn't trigger any passion, here's my hope for you, that you will be driven by those bigger questions. How do I love others well here in this place? How do I love others well, even those that I have not met that this church is still trying to reach with the love of God? And how do I honor others more than myself? And that you won't become paralyzed on the way, that you won't see anything as beneath you, but instead, you will find a way to contribute, even if, uh, especially if I should say, you're not contributing already. And that's not because, the reason we all pitch in is not because we say, in this house, everyone better pull their weight, and if you don't pull your weight, you're dead weight and you're out of here. That's not why. It's because in this house, we want to be driven by the same things that our leader, our, our, our Savior, our Lord Jesus was driven by, and we want to be a house that is focused on loving others well and honoring others above ourselves. So this week, you've got a week, uh, grab one of these cards on the way out, take the PI, sober judgment plus faith, discover some areas, maybe it'll resonate with the passion, come back next week, find out about specific volunteer jobs that just need to be done and pitch in. In fact, I wanna pray over you in your journey this week. Father in heaven, my prayer for all of us is that you would lead us toward the ideal, that we would be people who understand what makes our heart beat and our blood pump through our veins, that we'd understand what we're passionate about, those kingdom things that we're passionate about. And, and God, I, I pray that you would help us understand more about our gifts. And you spend so much time in scripture, we just looked at it today, telling us that we're uniquely gifted and that the body is incomplete, that the body is missing out, the family's missing out if we're not offering our gift. So God, give us revelation into what you've put inside of us, that we might discover and develop those gifts. And God, um, keep our eyes always wide open to the needs around us. And, and Father, in, in, I just pray for the ideal for all of us that in our work, in our service, in our lives, you would help us bring these things together. We would live at the intersection of these three things. But God, even more than that, I pray that you'd put in our hearts a desire to live by the same questions Jesus lived by. And that from the time that we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed, we would ask, how do I love others well? How do I honor others more than myself? And that we'd never stop asking those questions. So God, this week, lead us in discovery, guide us, show us, and then help us next week find a way that we can pitch in so that the family will be blessed, that we'll be blessed, that our mission will be blessed, more people will be reached, but also so that we can become more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.
Amen.